So probably one of the best environments I know to say, how do I improve as a leader? How do I improve as an individual is the Leadership Summit. And again, it's coming up in August on eight of our nine campuses, and we're telling you now, because it's gonna take time for you to put it on your calendar, to ask off of work, to invite people. Maybe invite your employer to come with you. Don't just ask off and say, hey, this is a cool opportunity. And uh, so I'd love to have you come and be a part of this year's Leadership Summit. Go to the website to sign up, but also go to the website to find out more information about the summit. Well, last week we began a new series of studies that we entitled Unbalanced. We're actually taking this study from the biblical book of Hosea. Hosea is a man, and this is what Hosea has to say about his wife, okay? So he's talking about his wife in this situation. He says, bring the charges against your mother or against my wife, for she's no longer my wife, and I'm no longer her husband. So all of a sudden you find out, okay, whatever's going on in this story, something bad has just happened. He's saying about his wife, she's not my wife anymore. She's not the person who I thought that she was. He goes on, and he says, tell her to remove the prostitute's make it from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. <laughs> when a story starts like that, you go, oh man, something is not quite right here. I would think it had to have been a terrible shock the first time that Hosea goes home and as he walks in the door, what he sees is his young son cowered over in the corner, crying, hungry, unfed, unkept, and all of a sudden, Hosea realizes she's gone. Gomer is gone. And as much as a shock as it was at that moment, it wasn't a total surprise. He had been told that this is what was gonna happen. God actually told him, he said, you're gonna marry a woman who's gonna be promiscuous, you're gonna marry a woman who's adulterous, even a prostitute, and, but the, walking in and seeing it happen, it still had to be a shock. And if it hadn't happened yet, at that moment, it had to break his heart, totally crushing everything inside of him. Now, what's he supposed to do? How are you supposed to respond in a situation like this? How would you respond? If your wife says, you know what, I'm gonna go out and, and I'm gonna just enjoy other lovers. If your husband goes out and says, I'm gone, I'm gonna go out and experience new things, and. How would you respond? What would you do if this was you in this situation? So let me ask you to grab a Bible. Open it up to page 679. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some of the seats around you on all of our campuses. You wanna read this story with us. Hosea chapter one, page 679. If you were with us last week, let me just give you a little bit of review. Hosea, the man, is a prophet of God. A prophet of God is actually somebody that speaks on behalf of God. A prophet of God, his main responsibility is actually to call back people who have drifted away from God back to God. So that's his whole purpose, call people back to God who have drifted away from God. And what you need to understand about a prophet is nobody chose to be a prophet. Nobody woke up one day and said, God, please, may I be one of your prophets. Instead, God picks people, men and women, out of, kind of for whatever reason only he knows, to serve as a prophet for him. And, and oftentimes, God would ask these prophets to do things that you kind of look, man, that's way, way out there. God, that's above and beyond the call of duty. God, why in the world are you asking him to do this? And, and so in this particular situation, Hosea is asked to do something bizarre. So chapter one, verse two, by 
by means of just kind of reviewing where we are, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, so his job as a prophet is to call the people of Israel back to God, God said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Hosea, what I want you to do is go and marry a woman who one day will become a prostitute. She'll become adulterous. She'll be promiscuous. She's not gonna be faithful to you. And most likely this wasn't her condition when they married, but God says this is what she's going to become. So he says, look, I want you to go and I want you to take a wife that's gonna prove to be unfaithful to you. And I look at this and I go, God, why in the world would you ask any man to do this? Why would you ask somebody to do this? It just seems bizarre, over the top, beyond the call of duty for you to do this. And what we need to understand is this isn't the first time that God's asked prophets to do something bizarre. Not the first time that God's asked a prophet to do something beyond the call of duty. Let me show you another example of somebody that was a prophet of God where he asked him to do something just rather bizarre. This is a man named Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was instructed by God to go to the city of Jerusalem and stand outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, just right in front of the gate where everybody will see him. And God says, when you go to Jerusalem and you go to that gate, I want you to set up camp there. Because I'm going to ask you to stay there for an extended period of time. So you need food, you need water, take everything you need. I'm going to ask you to stay right there in front of the gate of the city of Jerusalem so everybody can see you. And this is what God actually asked Ezekiel to do in front of the city. Lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You're to bear the sins for their number of days that you are there on your side. He said, I want you to go, I want you to lay on your side. And the reason you're doing that is you're gonna be an example of all the sin that they've had in their lives. Lay on your left side, but it's not just go lay there for a few minutes. God goes on. He says, I'm requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days, one day for each year of their sins. So he says, Ezekiel, I want you to go. I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days. That's what he's asking me to do, but he's not finished yet. He says, after that, Turn over, roll over, let the other side get some sun, roll over, lie on your right side for 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. You go, this is bizarre. God, what are you asking him to do? Because it's not just lay there for a few minutes, it's lay on your left side all day long, 390 days, then after 390 days, then you can roll over on your other side for 40 days. Now, I don't know about you, but if I sleep six hours at night, I probably roll over just about every 20 minutes. So 390 days on one side, I got, that's bizarre, God. I don't think I can do that. Or if you're laying out at the beach this summer, then somebody's gonna say, oh, I don't think 390 days on one side is a good idea for you. You ought to roll over. 390 days on one side, 40 on the other. You say, why in the world are you asking me to do this? If I were Ezekiel, I'd be asking that. Turn towards the city and demonstrate how harsh the siege will be against Jerusalem. This will be a warning to the people of Israel. There was a purpose to it. As bizarre as it may seem, God was saying, look, I want you to do something bizarre. I want you to get the attention of the people because at some point, and maybe it's not day one, maybe it's not day two, maybe it's not even the first or second week, but at some point, somebody's gotta say, who is that guy laying out there in front of the city gates? And God says, I want you to get their attention. I want you to notice something. I want them to notice what you're doing. And, and so it's an object lesson. And in essence, that's what God is asking Hosea to be. It's an object lesson to the people. So again, chapter one, verse two, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children 
will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. <laughs> you need to be an example for me. Because this is before television, this is before social media, this is before they had any books to read, and so God's gotta find a way to get his message out to the people, and so he would tell prophets to do some bizarre things in order to get the attention of the people. He says, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a woman, a woman that's gonna to prove to be unfaithful to you, but you stay faithful to her. Hosea, I want you to go and marry a woman, and I want you to love her even though she's gonna disgrace you. And Hosea, when you do that, you're doing it because this is gonna be a pageant. This is gonna be an object lesson for all the people. In essence, what God is saying with this story is look, your marriage is gonna serve as an object lesson. Hosea, you're gonna play the part of God. You're gonna play my part, God says. The woman, she's gonna play the part of the people, the people of Israel, the people who have been continually unfaithful to me. It's a story, it's a drama, it's a pageant, it's an object lesson. God says, look, Hosea, this is it but you're gonna live it out with your life. Now for you and me, we say what part, is, what part is us in this story? Well, we're definitely not Hosea, we're not God. Um, and so that really leaves one other choice, we're the people. We're the people that God says, you know what, continually unfaithful. You walk away from me again and again and again. And so God says through this story of Hosea, look, I just want you to get my message. I want you to understand who I am. I want you to see what I'm like when people are unfaithful to me. Now, quick caution with this particular story. So often when we read the Bible, we look and we say, okay, well, if this is the way God acts, then the purpose of the story is to say this is the way we should act in similar situations. And that's not a bad idea. That's not the purpose of this story. Instead, in this story, we're not supposed to be trying to figure out, let's act like God. We're supposed to be understanding that we're very much like Gomer, his wife. We're very much like the people unfaithful to him. And so in this story, what the writer is doing is saying there's a huge contrast between us and God. We're not anything like God in situations like this. And, and so bottom line, the way we would respond if somebody was unfaithful to us, it's so different than the way God would respond in this story. So this isn't a story of we ought to be more like God. If that's all you take out of it, you miss the point of the story. This particular story is a situation where God says, I am so different than you, night and day apart in the way I respond to those that are unfaithful around me. In this particular story, what Hosea does is actually give us a glimpse into the heart of God. What this particular story actually does is give a glimpse into the feelings of God. Specifically, it's like the curtain is being pulled back and God says, look, I'm gonna expose my heart to you. I'm gonna show you the way I feel. And so he picks the most intimate situation you could possibly have. He, pick, he picks this marriage relationship, the relationship between a husband and a wife. And he says, that's kind of what it's like between me and you, us. And um, God has feelings. I don't know if you tend to think of God as just kind of this robot, this, this machine up in heaven somewhere, off someplace, but, but God has feelings. The Bible is full of descriptions of the feelings of God, just some of them. The feelings that God has is feelings of anger, or love, or compassion, jealousy, laughter, hate, grief, joy. All of these are feelings, and all of these at some point in the Bible are attributed to God. And it's just saying God is a God of feelings. And in this particular story, we're gonna understand more of the feelings of God. And as we look at the feelings of God, what you begin to understand is that God loves us deeply. 
But whenever somebody loves somebody deeply, that also means the flip side of that, you're opening yourself up to hurt deeply as well. And God is saying in this story, I love deeply, but I hurt deeply as well. Because I am a God of feelings. God has feelings. This past week, Ruth and I went to the movies. We went to see Wonder Woman, the, the movie Wonder Woman. And it's kind of a fun movie filled with lots of action. It's also filled with lots of Greek mythology. And, and what's interesting about Greek mythology is that they say there are not, there's not one God. There are multiple gods in their mythology, in their philosophy of life. And, and their gods, their multitude of gods, they have no feelings whatsoever. They're incapable of feeling. And the Greek gods, the way they would talk about the Greek gods, they would describe them using a word that we know well. It's the word apathetic. They just have no feelings whatsoever. But what you need to understand and what Hosea makes very clear to us, our God, the God of the Bible, he's nothing like the gods of the Greek mythology. Our God has feelings. Our God yearns for his people. Our God, his heart breaks. He weeps for people that wander away and are hurt away from him. And, and you can hear it in his voice in the story of Hosea and Gomer when we start out again with the phrase, now bring the charges against her for she is no longer my wife and I am no longer her husband. And God is saying it through this story, look, my heart is breaking. My heart is broken because of the relationship that seems to be severed and it's like you're not even my wife anymore. The marriage is dead and, and you get a glimpse of the pain that God experiences when people walk away from him, when we turn our backs on him. So the question is, what would you do in a situation like this? What, what would you do if the person that you love more than anyone else turns and walks away? They turn your back, their back on you. They say, you know what, I'm gonna chase after other lovers. And how do you respond in that situation? My guess is, for a lot of us, our inclination is to give up. My guess is, for a lot of us, is to say, you know what, if you wanna go, then go. And we build a wall and say, if you go, you go, but you never come back in this door again. And we build this wall and we say, we're done. We're finished with you. You go and you do whatever you think you've got to do. But again, this isn't a story about what we would do. This is a story about what God does. And all of a sudden, the contrast becomes very real, where we would respond by pushing away. But God chooses not to respond that way. And one of the things that we begin to realize about God again and again is that God never gives up. And when people walk away and choose to be unfaithful to him, when people say, I'm gonna chase after other lovers, I'm gonna walk away from you, God never gives up. And he does whatever he has to to turn a situation that's bad into one of joy. And he's constantly, constantly working. And what I want us to see today is we've got this God that is incredibly creative at finding ways to bring us back when we turn away from him. God is incredibly Creative. You just look at the universe and you go, what a creative God we must have. For him to design and create all of the things that he's created, he's gotta be incredibly creative. He's gotta be creative. Who else would have come up with a story for Hosea to say, okay, Hosea, we're gonna put on this drama. You're gonna live it out. This is what, who you're gonna be. Your wife is gonna be unfaithful. Who else would have come up with something like that? Who else would have come up with the idea of Ezekiel? We've got to get the word out. We've got to tell people a message. So I want you to lay on your side for 390 days, then you can roll over and lay on the other side. 
If you were with us last week, who else is gonna come up with the idea to tell the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to walk naked and barefoot for three years. God, God is incredibly, incredibly creative. And it's actually a fascinating story in the Bible about a man named David. David is a man that probably, we know more about David than, than anybody else in the Bible. His life was full of ups, but his life was full of downs. And when he was down, he was down incredibly low. And, and so when he was in one of his lowest points of life, he, he reaches the point where his heart is cold, his heart is unforgiving, he leaves his family broken and divided. What's been happening is that some of his sons, some of his children have been making decisions that disappoint him. Some of them have been making decisions that are contrary to the way he would see life, contrary to the way he would choose to do things. And so because of that, he started building walls. He started pushing them away and saying, fine, if you want to go against my advice, fine, if you want to go against my philosophy on how to do life, then walk away. Go ahead. That's okay. But don't come back. We're done. And he builds these walls and he says, go do your thing. You know what? That's fine. Just go. Go do it. I'm done with you. And so they begin to walk away and and you know what it's like. Maybe you've got family members as well. Maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, maybe it's a mom or a dad, maybe it's extended family. And they're making decisions that you go, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they've adopted that mindset for life. And so our tendency is to say, let's build a wall. They're different than us, let's build a wall. They've chosen, they, they made their choice, they made their bed, let them go lie in it. And so we build these walls. And that's what David was doing. And so in David's situation, as he's building these walls, this woman shows up. And when she shows up, she challenges David. She says, David, look, you're building these walls with your family. You've ruined your family. You built these walls because you don't like the decisions they've made, because you don't like the things that they've done. It's different than what you would do. She says, fortunately, your God is not like you, David. Your God is very different, and you've done some things that are contrary to what God would want. You've done some things that disappoint God, but God isn't like you. He doesn't build walls when there's bad decisions, and so she contrasts David with God and the bad decisions that he made with what God does with his bad decisions. So this is what she actually says. Our lives, she said, are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. This is 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. Our lives are like water that's spilled out on the ground, which can't be gathered up again. You go, okay, that's obvious, we know that. And we do, if you've spilt water, if you've spilt milk, you know that's exactly the way it happens. When I was in high school, I worked in the summers for several summers painting houses for a painting contractor. And on occasion, when you would spill the paint, then instantly you just panic and you're trying to get it back in the bucket. It doesn't happen. You get a little bit, but not much. You can't get it back again. And so she begins her challenge to David by saying, look, once life is done, it's done. It's out there. You can't pull it back in. You know what this phrase actually reminds me of? When I was a kid growing up, my mom used to watch a soap opera. And the soap opera would start, and I could still remember it, even though I was just real young at the time, but I could still remember the announcer coming on, I could see the image in front of me on the TV screen, and the announcer would say, like sands in the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. And there'd be this hourglass with the sand dripping through, and the idea was once it's dripped through, it's done. You don't get it back again. And so she just says, okay, first of all, David, understand, once you've made decisions, it's done, you can't get it back, I understand that. But this is what God does in those situations. This is the part that I love. 
God doesn't just sweep life away. He doesn't go, okay, it's spilled, it's done, let's just get rid of it, I'm done with it. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. This is who God is. He devises plans to bring us back to him. And I mean, what an incredible thought. Picture this, here's God in heaven, and he's just sitting there coming up with ways to bring us back to him. When we walk away from him, when we turn our backs on him, when we do something that disappoints him, when we live our lives in ways that are contrary to the way that he would say to live it, instead of building walls, instead of pushing us away, as David was doing, he says, look, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna come up with ways to bring you back. And maybe you've drifted from God. Maybe it's not... Maybe you didn't drift far. You just said, you know what? I'm gonna choose a different way to live my life, God. I'm gonna do it differently than what you're saying. You've drifted from God. Whatever reason, there's walls between you and God. And God says, okay, I'm gonna come up with some ways to bring you back. Some other ways to describe devising. I love the word devising. And so I kind of looked up, what are some other synonyms for advising? And it could be arranging. Concocting, God is in heaven, concocting ideas to bring us back to him, or constructing, or crafting. He's crafting ideas, he's crafting a plan to bring us back to him. He's creating, designing, formulating. I'm gonna formulate a plan to bring these people back. Hatching, I like that one. You know, God is in heaven, hatching up plans to bring us back. Imagining, plotting, scheming, cooking up, whipping up ways is what the Bible says God is actually doing to bring us back into a relationship with him. As a pastor, one of the questions that I get asked more than any other question um, would be from people that walk up to me and they, and they have a series of questions and they all sound something kind of like this. They'll say, David, why is this happening to me? And they'll describe their life and they'll talk about difficulties that they're experiencing or circumstances that they're in. Why is God allowing this? in my life, why is God doing this to me? Why, why, why isn't God blessing me right now? It's kind of the line of questioning. I don't understand what's going on in my life, and, and so they're just kind of saying, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on in my life. I thought God was a good God. I thought God was a God that cared about me, so why is this happening to me? And maybe you find yourself asking the exact same question, and you're saying, I don't understand it. Uh, my life, I thought it was, God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you cared about me, so why is this happening? And, and I don't know for sure. I mean, so often my answer is, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but maybe, maybe there are areas of your life where you've drifted from God, and God's been devising ways to bring you back to him and so God's allowing those circumstances in your life because that's part of his plan to bring you back to him. And it could be, perhaps is what God is doing in your life right now. Could it be that whatever God's doing in your life right now, maybe it's part of his plan that he's been devising, that he's been whipping up in heaven to bring you back to him. And that's what goes on with Hosea and Gomer. And so let's continue reading. Chapter two, jump down to verse five, second part of verse five, describes what his wife Gomer has done. She said, Gomer said, Hosea's wife, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil and drink. She says, I'm gone. 
She turns away from him. And so I want you to see what Hosea does to bring her back. And remember, this is God describing what he does to bring us back to him. And as you see what God does in this particular story, understand this is the plan that God devised to bring the people of Israel back to him. This is the plan that God devised to bring Gomer back to Hosea. But it's not the same plan he's gonna use for you. There might be elements of it that he uses, but again, God is very creative. He can come up with whatever plan he wants. So don't read this and assume that whatever he does here is what he's doing in your life. It may be, but it may be totally different. And so God's creative. He can do anything that he possibly wants. And what he's doing in your life may be different than somebody else's life. So don't look at somebody else's life and say, well, because God's doing that in their life, that must be what he's doing in my life. It may be, it may not be. So the story goes on, chapter two, verse six. For this reason... Whenever you see a phrase like that in the Bible, you go, okay, so this is something I need to sit up and listen to because she's turned and walked away. For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She'll search for them but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband for I was better off with him than I am now. First thing that God does is he... Look, I'm gonna provide this hedge of thorn bushes around her. Thorn bushes to kind of just make her sit up and notice. Thorn bushes that make it more difficult to run. Thorn bushes that make life a little bit more difficult. Thorn bushes that just kind of say, oh man, let's stop and think here. Maybe I was better off with my husband, Hosea, or for you and me, maybe, I'm better off following God. So the first thing he does is he provides thorn bushes, things to make life a little bit uncomfortable. But, but he doesn't stop there because she doesn't come back yet. And so verse nine, but now the next thing I'm gonna do, I'll take back the ripened grain and the new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I'll take away the wool and the linen clothing I gave her to cover her, her nakedness. He says, look, it, I've given you all of these things is what Hosea is saying. He's saying to his wife, I've given you all of these things. And if you wanna run, and if you wanna go to somebody else to have their wine, their drink, their clothing, then okay, so be it. But I'm not gonna keep giving that to you. I'm gonna hold back. I'm gonna take away some of the necessities of life in order to make it just, so you understand what you're getting into. And so he takes back the necessities of life and notice the progression. It goes from being difficult with thorn bushes to all of a sudden extremely difficult because how am I gonna survive? In her case, she sank lower and lower and lower in the social status of the city until she's living with a man that's not even able to take care of her. He can't provide food for her, he can't provide drink, clothes for her, and so she's hungry, she's clothed in rags, and sometimes, Sometimes the plan of God, even in our lives, in order to turn us back to him, is to say, you know what, I've given you all of these things, and, and if you choose to keep walking away from me, then I'm not gonna keep giving them to you. I may even pull some of them back, if that would help turn you back to me. And so then it goes on, verse 14. Verse 14, you have another but then, so another action here. But then, I'll win her back once again. I'll lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I'll return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. He says, there's a point 
where in her running, she's gonna hit rock bottom, and she's real close already. She's close just with the necessities, with the thorn bushes, but there's a point where he says, she's gonna come to the valley of trouble. The bottom, there's no other way out. She's hit rock bottom, and it seems hopeless in her situation. You go, I don't know how she's gonna survive. I don't know how I'm gonna survive when you find yourself there, and some of us have found ourselves there, and you go, I don't know how I'm gonna survive. I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. And he says, okay, but when that happens, because again, God doesn't give up on us. And so if the thorn bushes don't bring us back and if the taking away of necessities doesn't bring us back, he says, maybe when you hit rock bottom, maybe then you'll turn towards me. And he says, if you do, I will provide a door of hope. He says, I'll let you experience it if that's what you want. If you wanna keep driving that way, I'll let you get there. He says, what I'm gonna do for you, even in, this, in the midst of that, is I will give you a door of hope. And um, if you were to ask me, what is God doing in your life right now? To be honest with you, I'd say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing right now. But what I know about God is God is constantly devising plans to bring us back to him. So could it be that in your life right now, God is devising plans to bring you back to him? The other thing I know about God is God never forces himself on us. And he's not gonna force us to come back. So you need to understand, God will never force us back. It's always our choice. And so if we choose to walk away, even with the thorn bushes, he's not gonna force it. If we choose to keep going down that road and necessities are pulled back, and we keep turning away from him, he's not gonna force it. If we find ourselves in the valley of the trouble, the desert, we've hit rock bottom, he's not gonna force us, it's our choice. He says, you know what, I'm there for you in the desert, but it's your call, your choice. I'll provide a door of hope. Because the verse goes on, if you look down, verse 15, he says, she will give herself to me there, she did long ago when she was young, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. And what that means is God doesn't wanna force us back to him. God's not looking for us to be robots. God created us with the ability to make choices. And because we make choices, we can make right choices and we can make wrong choices. God knew that. He knew that was gonna happen. He knew that some of us would make wrong choices. All of us would make wrong choices. And so he provides this opportunity. He says, I know that you're gonna mess up. I know you're gonna make bad decisions. And so therefore, as you make your bad decisions, decisions. I will do what I can to kind of provide a hedge so that you don't go too far into your bad decisions. But if you ignore me, if you choose to ignore me, then I will pull away some necessities possibly in order to pull you back in. If you continue to ignore, you may hit rock bottom. You may find yourself in the desert. When you're there in the desert, then, then God says, you know what? I'm still here. I provide a door of hope because I don't want to force you back. Instead, he says, what I want, I don't want to be called your master. A master is what a slave says. A master is what a robot says. He says, I want you to call me my husband. Because again, it's this intimate relationship, not one that's forced, not one that's constraining us, but one instead that God says, look, this is an intimate relationship. That's why he picks Hosea. And he says, I want you to demonstrate the most intimate relationship that there is for mankind, the relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, let me give you a caution. So often, we've turned away from God and we don't even know it. You may have turned away from God, you're not even aware of it. 
And as you're sitting here right now, you're thinking about other people. You're thinking about some cousin or friend or a nephew that you'd say, man, you know, they have really turned their back on God and they've wandered away from him and I wonder if the things that are happening in their life are part of God's plan that he's devised to bring that person back. And you know what, that's fine that you're thinking that, but if that's all you're thinking, then you're in trouble because remember, this is a story about you and me. And God says, you and I, you and I, we turn our backs on God. You say, oh, David, that can't be possible. I show up every weekend. I sing the songs. I know the songs. I'm in a life group. David, I know what to do. I serve. David, I know what to do. I, you know, I listen to Christian radio, and you think, okay, I've got it all together. And most of the time, you're following God. And in a lot of the areas of your life, you're following God. But there are some areas where you choose to turn away. And you say, you know what, God, I'm going to keep following you. But excuse me, I'm just going to cut off the path, and I'm going to go a different way when it comes to my finances. Because, God, what you say about money, whew, I don't know that I like that. And so I'm gonna choose to go my own way there. Or God, you know what? I'm gonna follow you most of the time, but when it comes to relationships, I don't know that I agree with everything you say about relationships, God, and so I'm gonna peel off and go my own way when it comes to my relationships. Even though some of them you may say aren't appropriate, I'm okay with it, God, and so I'm gonna go my own way. You go on ahead, I'll catch up. Or, all right, maybe you say, God, I'm gonna follow you most of the time, but when it comes to how I treat my family and the people around me, the things that I say, the things that I do towards them, you say one thing, but you know what? I have to be hard on them. I have to say things that are cutting and damaging. I have to exert influence and force on my family. So God, you may say one thing, I'm gonna choose to go another way. And you know what God does? Um, he says, you know what? I don't want just part of you. I don't want you peeling off and going your own way. Well, God actually says, I don't want just half of your heart I want all of your heart. I want everything about you. I want you to be following me completely. That's why he uses the story of Hosea between a husband and a wife. What husband is gonna say, you know what? I'll just share you with other lovers. I'm okay, sure, I'm okay with that. I'll share you with other lovers. What wife is gonna say about her husband, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'll share you with other lovers. Nobody in their right mind would say that. And and God says, I don't want to share you with anybody else. I, I want all of you. I want, don't want part of your heart. And so you find yourself walking along and you're peeling away. And so God is saying, okay, if you want to do that, then I'm going to devise ways to bring you back again with your finances, to bring you back again with your relationships, to bring you back again in the way that you deal with your family. Could it be, and this is the question I want you to be asking for the next week, could it be that God is allowing the circumstances of your life right now because it's part of his plan to bring you back to him. Could it be that that's what God is up to? And you kind of look and you say, okay, Hosea, that's what was happening in the life of Gomer, but it's no longer about just Gomer. It's about you. It's about you, and it's about God. And, and maybe God is saying there are circumstances in your life that I've come up with a plan. I've hatched a plan. I've concocted a plan to bring you back to following me completely. Part of God's plan for you and me is Jesus. His ultimate plan that he has devised, that he has schemed, that he has concocted is to send his son Jesus into the world 
to come and make it possible so that we can reconnect with God. That's the ultimate plan of God. That's why Jesus himself, when he's walking on earth, makes this statement. He says, whoever comes to me, anybody, whatever you've been through, no matter how unfaithful you've been, whoever comes to me, even if you've turned away and run after other lovers, if you've done whatever, and you may say, David, you don't know how bad, it doesn't matter. Whoever, Jesus says, I will never reject them. I will never drive them away. And Jesus is saying, I'm different. Jesus is God. And he says, I'm different than you are. You might choose to drive them away. But he says, I'll never drive you away. I will bring you in. So what's our response to all of this? I think we've got two choices. One is to say, okay, God, you're trying to bring me back, so I will come back. I will choose to follow you fully. Another response is just to kind of push back and say, I don't even like this whole idea, David, this whole concept of God putting thorn bushes in front of me, taking away necessities, that feels controlling. That feels like God is dominating me and you kind of revolt at the whole idea. And I get it to a point. Last night on my way home from church, I'm driving through the square in Mannheim. And in the square in Mannheim, you've got tattoo shop and then a pizza parlor and then a tattoo shop and a pizza parlor. And that's kind of what we have in Mannheim. And I'm watching as I'm driving through the square and there's this little family walking along the sidewalk. As they're walking along the sidewalk, I notice they've got probably a two and a half, three-year-old, maybe toddler little girl that's walking with the family. And it's just a casual night out. They're just strolling down the street. And mom is trying to hold the hand of this two and a half, three-year-old toddler so that she doesn't wander into the street because she's dancing around, playing around, having a great time, wanting to kind of wander into the street. So mom tries to grab her hand, and this toddler just kind of revolts at the idea, you're dominating me, mom. You're trying to control me, mom. Why are you doing that? And so they're walking down the street. Mom's holding the hand of the toddler. She doesn't want the daughter to get into the street where she could be smushed by me or 18-wheelers or everything else that's driving through the square at Mannheim. So she's holding her hand. The two-year-old is revolting not wanting to do it, but it's a fun night. It's a casual night for them, and so they're strolling, and so mom lets go of her hand, but she kind of stands between the toddler and the street behind her, and the toddler keeps bumping up against her, and mom would step back and forth and not let her through. In essence, what mom was doing, she was providing a thorn bush. What mom was doing is she was providing a safe boundary, and she's just saying, look, I'm gonna make life difficult for you toddler. I'm not going to let you just wander into the street and be crushed. I know that's what you want, but you don't know you're going to be crushed. You just think you want to wander in the street. And so I'm going to provide a thorn bush. I'm going to take away necessities to keep you from getting by me. And I suppose ultimately, though no parent would do it, ultimately had she gone into the street, whatever would have happened to her, I think the mom would have scooped her up and said, door of hope, still love you still care about you, not gonna turn away from you. And our Heavenly Father, says, I am devising ways to keep you from stepping into the street. I am devising ways to keep you from being crushed. And you think it's just an open area to play in. You think maybe this looks like fun to run there, but you don't understand. <laughs> David is coming in his car and, and there's 18 wheelers that will crush you if I let you go. And at some point we may get into the street and if we do, God says, I still love you. I will give you a door of hope.
So we've got two choices. We can push back and say, God, why are you doing this? You're controlling me. Or we could understand, maybe God has a different perspective than us. Maybe he sees the street. Maybe he knows what's coming. Or we can turn to Jesus. Jesus, another time, said this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Turn to me, and I will give you rest. Could it be, could it be that the circumstances you're experiencing in your life right now, as much as you may dislike them, as much as you don't appreciate them, could it be that God is just saying, look, I'm just protecting you from what's back here? Could it be that he's saying, I'm just trying to turn you back to me? As we finish the gathering today, if you would wanna pray with somebody, maybe about this, maybe just about whatever's going on in your life, to my right, to your left, every weekend there are people there that would love to pray on all of our campuses, and so make your way there after the gathering, they'd love to pray with you. But this week, ask yourself, God, what are you doing? Next week, we look into the family, the children of Hosea and Gomer, interesting family, and we'll look at their lives But today. God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? Heavenly Father, our tendency is to push back on you. Our tendency is to think we know better. Our tendency is to be like the toddler. He says, give me my freedom. Let me run. Let me go my own way. Don't try to hold my hand. Don't try to block me. Yet, God, we understand you. And we know that you love us, and you love us deeply. And God, what we learned from Hosea and Gomer is that it hurts you so deeply when we choose to walk away from you. But God, the cool thing is you never give up. And when we find our way to the street and we've been damaged and we're hurt, you never give up on us. You're always there for us, providing a door of hope. You're devising ways. And you go to any length to show your love to us. You go to any length to demonstrate to us how much you love us and care for us. Father, may we be wise enough to see what you're doing. May we be wise enough so that we too can experience your incredible love, to feel what you want us to feel, to feel accepted, to feel loved, cared for, provided for. God, thank you for loving us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.